nothing else that we need besides you. Lord, I'm reminded of the scripture that says in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Lord, we acknowledge you today. We acknowledge that we need you and only you. And we just uh, uh, bring joy and worship in our hearts today um, as uh, the word of God is open to you. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. So I'm continuing in Romans today, which I started last week, and I have to tell you, Romans is tearing me up. I mean, I have, I have never preached through the book of Romans. I've preached various verses in the book of Romans, obviously. I've, I've quoted the book of Romans, referenced the book of Romans, uh, maybe even preached different sections of the book of Romans, but I've never gone verse by verse through the book of Romans. And, um, you know, I've been preaching long enough now that uh, almost any text in the New Testament, you know, once I work through it and once I study it, I can kind of look back at a previous sermon and uh, almost use my previous sermon as kind of my own little commentary in this new, a new message that I have created. Well, uh, in a lot of these passages in Romans, including the one today, I've never, I've never preached this passage before. I don't have any notes on it. It's, it's fresh to me. And uh, it's, it's helping me to grow personally. Uh, it is, uh, it is just, uh, just tearing me up some of the truths and some of the things that I'm reading about and studying about today and uh, this week. So um, there is a dire spiritual condition that exists in the world, and we call it lostness. We use that language a lot. We talk about a lost world. We talk about uh, people who are lost. And, and I gave you a definition of what I mean when I use the word lost. Not necessarily we can't find our way when we're driving, but we're talking about a spiritual condition of people who have not yet found a relationship with Jesus. And these people are lost in that they are helplessly and hopelessly separated from God. You see, whenever we are physically lost, we are separated from a physical destination. But in spiritual lostness, we are separated from God. And so this series is meant to explore that spiritual condition. Obviously, before we can have a uh, remedy, we have to have a proper diagnosis. And this diagnosis, this spiritual condition called lostness, means that people who are separated from God, they're not okay. They're, they're not okay. They are in dire need of a Savior. They don't need just a little bit of religion. They don't just need some help. They don't just need a little bit of encouragement or spiritual assistance. They don't just need to attend church every now and then. They need Jesus. They need a Savior. And the good news is, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said that this was the whole reason that he came. It says that he came to seek and to save the lost. And so we're going to continue to delve into this idea of lostness as we move into Romans chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 16 in just a minute. And you might find the title of my sermon a little bit interesting today. The title of my sermon is just simply titled, Wrath. You know, we don't hear about that a lot. We don't, we don't hear a lot about the wrath of God. We don't, we don't hear a lot about the reality of punishment. We don't we don't hear a lot about what we deserve because of our lostness and how God feels about it. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to read some passages and several verses in Romans chapter 1 where we're going to continue to explore this idea of this spiritual condition called lostness. And we're going to get a grasp 
of how God feels about it. I don't, I don't think we talk about how God feels very often, and, but we're going to do that today. We're going to explore this passage that speaks about how God feels about how the world is lost and the sin that is in the law, the sin that is in the world, the lostness that resides in the heart of man, and how God feels about the fact that we as human beings, as mankind, we continue to perpetuate the cycle of lostness and sinfulness, and there's a certain way that God feels about it. And I don't think that my title uh, leaves you to guess. But let's, uh, let's look at Romans chapter 1. Stand with me, please, as we give attention to the Word of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through verse 23 says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That one verse is unpacked in the next several verses, many of which we won't read today. It says in verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that, men are, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Lord, today... We know that we sometimes have to grasp the depth of the bad news before we really appreciate the good news of the gospel. Lord, today, I pray that if there's someone here today that is in that spiritual state of lostness, Lord, I pray that you would help them to realize the danger that they're in. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to realize how you compassionately want to lift them out of that state of lostness. And Lord, for the rest of us, I pray, God, that we would rejoice today that we're saved from the wrath of God. We love you, and we thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, we use a lot of terms to describe people. Some of you probably use different terms to describe your spouses, your friends, you know, your family members. Sometimes we say, well, that, that guy's funny. Or we say, you know, that person is very sweet. We use all, all types of, of manners of, of descriptors, like that person is very serious, or that's a violent person, or that's a talkative person, or a quiet person, or, or a selfish person. But if someone wants to ask you, if they were to say, describe God, describe his personality, tell me who he is, how would you answer that in just some descriptors? I can, I can almost guess how most of us would probably describe God. Actually, we would probably describe God the way that God describes himself. God gives us an excellent self-description in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, whenever he appeared to Moses and he said, I am the Lord, I am a God who is merciful, I am gracious, I am 
slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. These verses are repeated often, especially throughout the Old Testament. When we get into the New Testament, we have a very short description of who God is. John says, God is love. It's stated so clearly, so concisely, God is love. So whether we're talking about the Old Testament, whether we're looking at the New Testament, or whether we are thinking about and focusing upon one of the great, the greatest act that God has ever done in history, sending Jesus to die on a cross, everything that God is just screams at us that He is a God of love, that He is full of grace and compassion, that He is merciful, that He, that he abounds in these qualities. This is both God's self-description when He has appeared to people before. This is the witness of Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, and the cross beautifully displays these attributes of God's love and God's care. But God also has a wrathful side. It's just a reality. Listen, God also has an angry side to him. Now, I'm not saying I'm happy about it. I'm not saying I'm, I'm, not saying I'm pleased with it. I mean, after all, who likes to think about a God of wrath? I mean, who likes to consider a God who, who will judge? A God who gets mad. We, we don't like that kind of God. We want a God that is loving all the time. We want a God that is soft on sin, even whenever mankind does wrong. But the reality of Scripture is that there is a wrathful side of God. There is an angry side of God. We don't like to talk about it because it makes us uncomfortable. And just in full transparency, a lot of preachers don't talk about it very much because they know that people don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear about a God of wrath. They don't want to hear about his angry side, his wrathful side. They don't want to hear about the reality of an eternal place called hell. And so a lot of the times we just kind of try to focus in on God is love. And, and, and that's great. That's ultimately where we end up. But do we really know love if we don't also know judgment? Can we, really, can we really understand the, the fullness of God's love without understanding the danger that comes without actually receiving that love? And I don't think so. And so in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, who's writing to this church at Rome that he's never been to, he starts off by giving them kind of some bad news. He gives them some, some groundwork. And he talks about how the wrath of God has been revealed. Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The wrath of God. He says it's being revealed. What is wrath? Here's a definition of wrath. The punitive outworking of God's anger. Now think about that for a minute. The punitive outworking of God's anger. It is actions of punishment that are dispensed because of feelings of anger. Now, I know that picture of God disturbs us whenever we think about that, but this word wrath is describing a passionate anger. 
It is an anger that is aroused to the highest level that bowls over into penal actions of justice and punishment. Rage, ferocity, fury are words that capture the essence of wrath. And we see this really all over Scripture. In the opening pages of Scripture, the wrath of God sends a global flood and kills every human being, every living, breathing thing on the face of the planet. In the closing pages of Scripture, we read about a time yet to come when trumpets will be blown and bowls of wrath will be poured out upon all mankind. In wrath in Scripture, we see God drowning armies in a sea. We see fire and brimstone raining out of the sky and destroying cities in anger and in wrath. And, and perhaps nothing fully captures the fury of God's wrath more than what Jesus told us about, about this eternal place called hell. Jesus talked about this place of torment, this place of punishment, this place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, this place where the worm dies not. Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else in Scripture, describing it in vivid detail. And this, this truth seems weird to us. It seems harsh to us. And that's because really all we really know is the anger of man. When we look at the anger of man, we see something that is completely different than what we see in the anger of God. Now, I've, I've talked about this before as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount and different passages and, and we've looked at different scriptures. I've told you the, the two most worthless, most useless emotions that you can have as a human being is fear and anger. Those are two emotions that whenever they begin to erupt in you, just, go, just, just know that unrighteousness and a lack of faith are knocking at your door. We see this all the time in Scripture. Man's anger and wrath is sinful. It's almost always sinful. While the Bible affirms that there is the wrath of God and the anger of God, the Bible condemns anger in man in the harshest of terms. In Matthew 5, Jesus described our anger, our human anger, as being set on fire by hell, meaning that it is devilish and that, that it, it leads to judgment. James says clearly in James 1 verse 20, he says the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So whenever we think about anger as it's manifested in man, it is incredibly sinful. But when we think about anger and wrath as it is manifested in God, it is always justified. My anger is not always justified. God's anger is always justified. My wrath and punitive action might be wrong or might just be flat out ungodly. God's anger and wrath is always justified. Never, not one time in the New Testament are you told to exude the wrath of God. Not one time. Not one time in the New Testament is a Christian told, hey, you need to be like God and be wrathful. We're never told to do that. Quite the opposite. But this does not change the fact that there are some feelings that God has, feelings of anger, feelings of, of wrath that are always justified 
and that are always righteous. And it leads to the question, what has what provoked the wrath of God? And really even, even more important is towards whom is the wrath of God directed? Now this is where we get really uncomfortable. Because in Romans chapter 1 verse 18, the Bible clearly states that mankind is the object of God's wrath. Look at this. For the wrath of God is being revealed against, against what? Ungodliness, unrighteousness that resides where? In the hearts and in the minds and in the actions of mankind. And all of us, it's there. The Bible says that there's this ungodliness that's just natural to who we are. That there is this unrighteousness, this suppression that we have of the truth. And sin has infected this world like a virus. It has created a spiritual and physical devastation on the good world that God created. And God's not happy about it. In fact, God is furious because you have a snake that slithered into God's paradise and brought about doubt and division and death. And mankind, all of us, since the creation of the world, we have embraced this snake and his ways. We have perpetuated the pain and the misery and the lostness that is in the world, and we continue to do so. And God is furious about it. There's anger that resides in his heart over the sinfulness of man. And the, 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 uh, the Bible says, and Paul says in, in this verse, he says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. In other words, that it is emanating from the heart of God. That his wrath and his judgment are there. And you say, well, what has mankind done? And the Apostle Paul, writing in Romans chapter 1, he unpacks a lot of things that describe what mankind has done, is doing, has done from the end of time. Verse 18 says that they've, mankind has suppressed the truth. Verse 21 says that mankind has rejected God. Verse 22 says that they've claimed to be wise, we've worshipped idols, dishonored our bodies, have embraced homosexuality and the like. And verse 28 through verse 32 basically just is a, a, a smattering of sins. And this is not an exhaustive list. This is just the things that are outlined in Romans chapter 1, these are just the things that, um, that Paul mentions just briefly of the things that we have done. You have done these things and worse. Maybe not all of them and may, maybe, maybe not any of them, but maybe, maybe some other things that are outlined in Scripture. All of us, we have perpetuated this cycle of sin. Mankind, the whole earth, the world is in a state of lostness. And it's our fault. We, we can't blame it on Adam and Eve. We can't say that it's somebody else out there. All mankind is culpable for the state of lostness that exists in the world. In fact, the scripture says that there is no excuse. Verse, one, uh, uh, verse 19 through verse 20. I love these verses. These verses basically talk about how the knowledge of God and who He is and what He requires and what we have done and how we have missed the mark, they're just plain to see. It's just clear out there. 
It says, for what can be known about God is plain. You see, there's these words, known, plain, shown, clearly perceived. A God of the universe, two divine attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly in view. And not just clearly in view in certain points at time. The Bible says that ever since the creation of the world, the existence of God has been generally seen by every single living and breathing human being. Clearly known, seen. It's just been absolutely plain from everything that has been made. And the Bible says that because of this, we're without excuse. About two years ago, two and a half years ago, I got a speeding ticket um, going down Old Sparta Road. Some of you know where Old Sparta Road is. Uh, Old Sparta Road, how many of you know the speed limit on Old Sparta Road? Do you know the speed limit on Old Sparta Road, Jana? Do you know the speed limit? What is it? It's 30. Or it might be 35. Whatever it is, I was going in excess of that speed. Now here's the problem. I used to live on that road. I used to live on that road. I rented a house on that road whenever we first moved here. And I made all kinds of excuses. Now, I did not get mad at the officer who wrote me the ticket, um, but I did feel like that he had positioned himself in an unfair place. <laughs> because he positioned himself in a place where he was radaring cars as they were going downhill. Well, I didn't think that was fair. You know, I mean, I've got a truck, you know, a, a, a full-size truck, and I was pulling a trailer at the time. You know, I'm not the only one that pulls a trailer in town. And, you know, to sit in that particular spot, the speed limit being 30 or 35, whatever it is, I mean, I, I, made, all, I made all kinds of excuses. Well, I was, I was in a hurry that day. Um, and then I started thinking, well, you know what? That's just not fair. I mean, this, the speed limit should be higher on that road. And here's the reality of the fact. I didn't really know the speed limit. I was driving at whatever speed that I thought was appropriate at the time. I was a law to myself. And y'all, listen, I used to live on that road. I've gone up and down that road. I can't tell you how many times I have driven up and down that road. Uh, most of you know I ride a road bike. I ride my road bike up and down that road. Even to this day, I ride my road bike up and down that road a lot. It's not like I hadn't been on that road. Listen, I had never seen the speed limit sign. I had never seen it there. And so I wasn't so sure there actually was a speed limit sign. So sure enough, I went back. There it was. Plain as day. There's a speed limit sign. You see, the problem wasn't, what, wasn't with the speed limit sign. The problem wasn't, what, wasn't, wasn't the fact that that was within the city limits. That was another excuse that I made. Well, that shouldn't be in the city limits anyway. City cop way out there on Old Sparta Road. He ought, to be, he, he ought to be out trying to arrest real criminals. What's he doing coming after me? I made all kinds of excuses in my typical human-like sinful behavior, not wanting to take responsibility for my own actions. It's not really my fault. It shouldn't have happened. It's somebody else's fault. All these excuses, the truth is, I just ignored the signs. Do you know that's what mankind does with God? When we look around at this, y'all, this world is beautiful. 
This world that we live in is absolutely amazing. The psalmist says that the heavens declare the glory of God. When we look around at this world, every dewdrop, every rose petal, every grain of sand, all creation combines to say to us, there is a God with eternal power. There is a God that has a divine, perfect, holy nature. Everything that we look around, and listen, when I'm talking about creation, I'm talking about you too. There's something in your heart, something in your soul, in your very conscience that knows there's a God. You know this by nature. You know this by default. You were made in the image of God. You know intuitively there is something different in you than in your pet or in the birds or in the grass. You, you know this. It's, it's seared into your conscience. There's something bigger. You have, a, you have a self-awareness, a general knowledge, both as you look inside of yourself and as you look around at the world. You know that there's a God. Mankind has ignored the clear signs of creation. And because of this, we're without excuse. God's wrath is not justified to come to me because of whatever. I didn't see the sign. Or the cops shouldn't have been there at that time or whatever. We make all kinds of excuses. The Bible says that we are without excuse. That we are responsible for our sin. We are responsible for the things that we have done. And all of God's wrath and anger and judgment that come towards mankind, that have come at mankind, that are planned to be poured out upon mankind, as we see in the book of Revelation, they're righteous on, in the eyes of God and they're just. In fact, God should have destroyed all of us a long time ago. God, God would have been perfectly just if he wouldn't have saved any of us. If he would have just wiped out this world that he created. And here's, here's proof that mankind intuitively knows that there's a God. And it's because worship has been replaced with idolatry. Everybody worships. This is proof that we intuitively know that there is a God, both inside and outside of us. We intuitively know because idolatry is just absolutely rampant in our world. Look around at this beautiful world that God has created. How many people love the Lord? Not many. How many, how many people are acknowledging God? Not many. They're lost. They're in a state of lostness. They're, they're separated from a holy God. There's nothing about worship and acknowledgement of Him that is flowing from their hearts. The vast majority of people here worship idols. In the Old Testament, the worship of Baal and Shemash and Asherah. Little statues, little stones that they would make. Those were the things that worship people worship these days. Oh, our idols are much bigger than that. Our idols are, are made of different materials. They're things like boats and RVs. They're things like nice houses and clean yards. They're things like the comfort and accessibility of food anytime that we want it. They're the security that we find in our bank accounts and in our retirements or, or, or in our relationships or even evil, illicit relationships that are 
prohibited in Scripture. Oh yes, the American culture has idols. You may not have a little statue in your room that you bow down and worship to, but you probably have a little electronic that you focus on a lot in your life. You probably have something parked in your garage that had just really captivated your heart or something of, something of that nature. We definitely have our idols. We have become futile in our thinking and our foolish hearts have become darkened. We all deserve the wrath and the fury of God. His punitive actions could not be too harsh. Eternal judgment and wrath awaits mankind for what they have done. And our apathy and lack of concern is proof that our judgment is just. Listen, don't miss this. There's rescue. You see, this is the good news. All that wrath and all that fury and all that justifiable righteous anger that mankind deserves because of sin, God laid it all on Jesus. God put it all upon him. All the righteous anger and fury and wrath of God, which would make God sinful if he didn't punish. I mean, after all, if someone, if someone committed a crime against you and then you took them to court and they were found guilty and the judge refused to punish them, that judge would be unrighteous. God had to judge. God has to pour out wrath. And rather than pouring it out on you and me and we deserved it because we are the ones who who perpetuated, God poured out all that wrath and all that fury and all that justice and all that judgment. He laid it upon the back of Jesus on your behalf. That is what God has done for us. Romans chapter 5 verse 9 says, since now we have been justified by his blood. Look at this. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? You see, whenever we get saved, we're not just getting saved from a bad circumstance in this world. We need saving from the righteous judgment and wrath of God. That is really the essence of what it means to be saved. It's not just I'm having a hard time and the Lord's going to save me from that hard time and now I'm his disciple. No, the Bible says that you were an enemy of God. That you were at war with him and that you deserve to be destroyed in eternity in hell forever and ever and ever and face the wrath of God. But Jesus saved you from that. He rescued you from it. 1 John chapter 4 verse 10 said, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but he loved us. And look at this. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This means that in Jesus, the wrath of God was extinguished for those who are in Christ. John chapter 3, verse 36 says, Whoever believes the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, and the wrath of God remains on him. Let me tell you what this means. Listen to me, Christian. Listen to me, those of you who are believers. Listen to me, those of you who are saved and you know it. 
you will never, ever face the wrath and anger of God. It's gone. It's gone forever. As, as, as vicious and as ferocious and as punitive as it is, and as much as you deserve it, if you are in Christ Jesus, God is not mad at you anymore. It, that All that anger and all that wrath was poured out upon Christ. You will not face the judgment. You will not face eternity in hell. You do not have to pay for your sins. It has been accomplished by Christ. Now listen, don't mishear me. Um, I love my children, but I'll discipline them. God will discipline us. There's a difference between those two. One says, I'm going to squash you in wrath and punish you and remove you from my presence for all eternity. The other says, I love you so much, I'm not going to allow you to continue in that action, and I'm going to get you in my firm grip, and I'm going to bring you closer to myself. That's discipline. The Lord still does that, and it hurts, and it's not pleasant, and the Lord still does that. But here's, here's the thing that I want you to feel a freedom from. God's not walking, listen, God's not walking around mad at you when you sin. The Bible says that you have an advocate with the Father. You have an expert attorney. The Bible says that you have an intercessor who is praying for you. Jesus, the righteous one, who was the propitiation for your sin. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. All right, I said a prayer. I got baptized. Man, God's not mad at me anymore. I'm just going to go out. I'm just going to sin, and I'm just going to do whatever I want. That's what a lost person says. That's how lost people think. If you think that way, you have never been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. God's not mad at you anymore. I want you, to, I want you to feel that freedom today. I want you to feel that freedom. For, you, you did something this past week you shouldn't have done. You said something that you shouldn't have said. Or, or you went somewhere that you, something happened in your life this week. And you, you walked into church like this. Oh, God's mad at me. No, God's not mad at you. God loves you. Jesus is praying for you. He's interceding for you. The Father wants to bring you close to him. This is the relationship that we are in with our heavenly Father. His wrath, his judgment is nowhere in your life anymore. And listen, it is never coming back. It is gone. But if you're not a believer, if you're not a believer here today, you are in grave danger. The Bible says in this verse, in John 3, 36, it says, if you don't know the Son, that the wrath of God remains on you. That eternal death sentence that you deserve is still there. And you will have to face it. You may live this life in comfort and in ease and in luxury. Your body might be healthy. Your bank account might be full. Everything in this world might be at peace. But if you don't know Jesus, the wrath of God is coming upon your life. And I beg you, I beg you, please call on Jesus. 
call on Jesus and be saved and walk in that newness of life. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and let's, let's pray to him. If you're a Christian here today, if you know Jesus as Savior, I want you to walk in such freedom right now. I want you to pray a prayer of thankfulness. I want you to pray a prayer of freedom. I want you to remove any thought of God's anger and wrath. I want you to remove it from your heart, from your prayer life. I want you to thank God that his love and is, is upon you. If you know Jesus as Savior, just thank God for that. If you don't know Jesus as Savior right now, if you don't, if, if, you have, if you have never truly and legitimately been born again, please call on Jesus right now. Please call on Jesus. There's a dangerous place of eternal torment, and you don't know what might happen. There's viruses that spread the globe. There's tornadoes that are sweeping through towns. There's sinful people doing bad things in this world. People are becoming sick and getting cancer having heart attacks, death, death is right there. You never know when it's going to happen to you. And I beg you today, become a disciple of Jesus. Don't risk entering into eternity without Christ, having to face the anger of God that will never be quenched. It'll last forever for all eternity. And don't delay. Don't say, well, I'm going to put this off. Call on Jesus right now. And just say, Jesus, save me. Thank you, God, that you are gracious, that you are merciful, that you are slow to anger, and that you are abounding in love. Thank you, Lord, that your presence is my good. God, I pray that today that your word and your truth would not return void. That anyone that's here today that's a believer, Lord, that their hearts, their hearts would, just, would just burst with praise that they have escaped the wrath of God. But I pray for those here today that don't know you as Savior. I pray that they would feel that weight, that danger. And I pray, Lord, that they would call upon you and be saved. Thank you for Jesus. The name of Jesus is so wonderful. Thank you for what you have done for us. And we offer this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. I think our God is worthy of praise. Let's sing.